Hello and welcome. This is the Focus Masterclass podcast, where we speak to some of the great minds in visual effects to dive deep into every part of the industry, from production, the creative process, business, and technology. In this edition, we spoke to Nick Davis, a production side VFX supervisor now with MPC. He spoke at length about the very crucial pre-production process and visual effects, pulling back the curtain on all the decisions that need to be made and everything else that happens before work and visual effects production is carried out. Please enjoy Nick Davis's very insightful and enlightening masterclass. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm very good indeed. Very nice to uh, to join you today. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today. I'll let you, Nick, just go through um, the whole pre-production process. So yeah, take it away. I was going to talk today a little, little bit about the role of the production side VFX supervisor and specifically about uh, the whole prep period. Um, and so I have been a production side freelance visual effects supervisor for the last 25 years. And obviously, during this time, the industry has changed dramatically. And it's not just the enormous technical advancements that we have all seen, which themselves have opened up a whole new creative world of possibilities to writers and filmmakers, and the only limitations these days being the imagination. And this ground shift has obviously changed the entire attitude towards the discipline and its fundamental role within the industry. Although, Despite that, the basic role and the job remains fundamentally the same. And I was sort of anecdotally going to highlight that change. Um, I myself was was working on a movie called The Fugitive, uh, which Harrison Vaughn was starring in. And this was, gosh, it was in about 1993. And one of the main highlights of the movie was to be a spectacular train crash. And at every pre-production meeting, we, the VFX crew, were very much treated as the pariahs in those days. We were the non-union sort of startup boys who were going to steal the jobs from the stunt teams and the special effects technicians. So when it came to time to shoot the plates, you know, we were often made to do them sort of during the lunch crew breaks of the, uh, of the, main, of the main crew, or we would shoot them sort of after wrap. They'd leave a few lights burning, and that's when we would have our moments. And when it came to the actual train crash itself, we shot this at night uh, in North Carolina. It was an enormous shoot. There were 17 camera crews. Um, it was an massive demolition of a train line, which actually ended up with a real train crashing at about 30 miles an hour. Uh, and it was a whole spectacular shoot that was set up. Um, and the visual effects team, uh, myself and a couple of others, we had a, a VistaVision camera, which was set up directly in the line and the path of the derailing locomotive. And finally, at about three in the morning, the whole shoot was ready to go. And off it went, and it was absolutely spectacular. And the train did exactly what it was meant to do. All 17 cameras rolled. We got spectacular footage. But our camera was buried in a massive wave of mud that was pushed in front of the locomotive. Now, 20 minutes later, the crew had wrapped out all of the cameras and all of the lights were killed. And myself and my um, VFX partner were left in the dark, in the cold, to dig our own camera out for about two or three hours with nobody even thinking about us. And, and I bring this up because that was the attitude towards visual effects um, only 25, you know, 20, 25 years ago. And of course, today, visual effects have become a vital central part of the filmmaking process. Uh, as budgets and appetites have grown, so our voice and our place in the film creation process has changed. 
Now we're brought in very early in the process, um, usually shortly after the director and the producer are hired, um, and often at the same time as the production designer. And many times we're actually brought on in what we call sort of pre-pre-production. Now, pre-pre-production is a sort of a 10-week period where the studios want to see a roadmap. They want to see a plan of how the movie is going to be made. They want to see key creative concepts, designs. They may wish to see sort of visual effects tests and proof of concepts, um, highly technical uh, visual effects that we may be taking on. They're going to want to see those tests uh, put forward just to make sure that it's realistic and that they, they can be achieved. They also want to do major casting decisions. And they might want to see whether you're going to be going to location or they'll want to see set plans. And mostly they want to see at the end of that a realistic budget that matches that plan. Now, as visual effects often make up the largest single below the line item, we're a major contributor to this period. So it's necessary that during this time we budget the film to the best of our ability. And to do this, we sort of need to put ourselves in the head of the directors. We need to imagine how we will construct these scenes. What elements will be necessary to build? How are we going to shoot? What are we going to shoot? Now, most of the other heads of department are not hired at this point. So we have to make allowances and guesstimates for their disciplines. For example, say it's the prosthetic makeup department. Where, does, where do we expect the prosthetics to start and the visual effects to take over? Um, the same with the special effects. Um, what sort of rigs would we need? What sort of explosions or rain or snow? Or what, what would we expect to happen on the set? So that And at what point do we take over? And unfortunately, it's often up to us to sort of guess this beforehand. The same with the sets. We can talk to the production designer, but at a certain point, he hasn't designed the movie yet. He's not himself 100% sure, so we have to put our best guess, and we have to say, well, we'll expect them to build X amount of the set, um, and the rest of it we will do with virtual takeovers or CG extensions, um, or we will expect them to go to location for this, for this sequence. Or we may even say, you know what, they're not going to find this, and we'll expect this to be completely CG. And then finally... We need to know how many shots will be required per scene. Now, this is the particularly the hardest part because there's no editor on board. Most directors will not engage in this as there are far too many variables and unknowns. So it becomes up to us to sit there with the script and to count through on a page by page, sequence by sequence, scene by scene, um, exactly how much coverage do we think there will be? And then within that coverage, how much are close-ups, how much are medium shots, how much are wides, how much are masters? And we have to sort of guess the entire editing of the movie before anything has been shot. And now once we've done this, we then produce our own sort of internal budget between ourselves. And of course, we then have to then look at that number and then look at the number that the studio or the production may already have allocated in the budget. And of course, at this point, there's usually a huge discrepancy between those two numbers. So at that point, we need to work with the director and with the production designer and with the producer to help get the movie into a place where it can be greenlit. Now, to do that, that often means they have to redesign sequences. They have to rethink approaches to the shoot. They may need to replace locations with sets or backlots to reduce the expense of the shoot, which will enable us to then take over larger portions of the movie at a more cost-effective rate. 
Sometimes we'll have to work with the writer to reduce or to change the script to help them rebalance the creative needs and the budget discrepancies. We may have to sort of suggest expensive omits or different ways to do things or repetitions or way to, way to utilize more cost-effective approaches to sequences. And this often is the time when creative dialogue between the director and the studio and the production will either get the movie greenlit or it gets shut down. So it's an important 10-week period and it's, and it's one that takes um, a lot of sort of open dialogue between the different, uh, the different uh, people who are on board at that point, between the director and the producer and the studio and the visual effects team. But once this milestone has been passed, we get the sort of proverbial flashing green light. And at that point, we can then go into a sort of a full pre-production process. Now, usually a pre-production uh, period can last anywhere from sort of six to about 16 months. The process depends on the scope and the scale of the show. Um, some may take years to develop and others may be on a fast track that the studio will have a very tight release date and therefore pre-production gets squeezed enormously. But a decent pre-production will be, will be somewhere between six months and a year. Now, obviously, the, the first thing that we have is the script. We've got the blank canvas of a script. And often, with complex action scenes, the script can be very light in description and definition. We have the old adage of fade in and crane up to the Battle of the Bulge. And I say this because that is often what writers do. They give a very loose, very uh, minimalist description of action that's going on, of, of settings, uh, and it's very much about the story and the characters. Thus, each and every major sequence within a script needs to be designed and planned from the ground up. Each sequence is going to have a whole different raft of requirements and different drives that are going to push it forward. And so during the pre-production process, it's up to all of the heads of department to get together and to come to an agreement, you know, obviously with the director leading the way and the other, uh, the other sort of cast of characters um, putting their voice, their skill set and their side of the equation into place. So I call it a cast of characters because on each movie, obviously, we have the same group of people, but obviously on each movie, they change dependent on their style, on their sort of, in inverted commas, power. So... Um, I mean, just briefly, I'll just sort of run through them. Of course, at the top of it, we have the director. The director is the creative funnel, and he's in charge of everything. His word is normally, or her word, is normally final. And we look to the director to lead all of us, to steer us all in the right direction, to choose which way they ultimately want to perceive the sequence being achieved. Um, next to them... Um, and often, once again, dependent on the type, we have the producer. Now, this is this this role varies um, enormously from show to show, but a, a, a real producer will be the person who is in charge of the sort of major decision making, the casting, the budget, the script, and the creative calls. They are hired by, or they have close relationships with the studio, and it's their role to help the studio fund the project and then get the cast, hire the director, complete the script, and ultimately they're trusted with delivering the movie while protecting and nurturing and helping the director to deliver their creative ideal. 
So it is the relationship between the producer and the director and ultimately the studio that is at the top of the uh, of the pyramid. Beneath that, we have the executive or line producer whose role is the day-to-day, below-the-line production of the, of, the, uh, of the show. Everyone's budget, although funnily enough not ours, to, um, they're in charge of. They decide how the production is run and they work with all of the heads of department to make sure that their money is spent in the best way for the movie. They're there to help schedule pre-production, the shoot, to decide upon locations, um, and they will make on the daily decisions as to the, the, the big expenses, you know, hiring stages, um, hiring locations, hiring a lot of the crew, um, how many crew, um, where, when and how. Um, and so many, many of the uh, answers of pre-production actually fall to the uh, executive producer. We tend to have a lot of interaction with this person in prep as they often look to us to resolve all the shortfalls in their budget. And we're also to help them make the best best decisions. They will come to us in to talk about set builds. They'll come to us about locations. They'll come to us about second unit. And they will often come to us, as I say, to help them find alternative ways to do things for more cost-effective uh, means. We also have the studio creative executives. Now, this person will represent the creative desires of the studio as far as story, cast, look, design, etc., We don't have quite so much interaction with them, but they will look to us to see any fundamental visual effects designs, say if they're creatures, or they'll want to see any previs that we've done. And towards the end of post-production, obviously, they're involved with the final visual effects look. Some studios have more input than others. Some creative executives are very hands-on and others are very hands-off. So that can change show to show. Then, of course, we have the visual effects studio executive. Now, this person we directly answer to. We discuss all changes, all budget decisions, all creative decisions, all script changes. Um, and uh, and for visual effects, this is a very uh, important person uh, in our world. And this role actually only came into being in about the late in the, about the late nineteen eighties. At this point, visual effects fell into the world of post production. However. Budgets and requirements became so huge as movies changed that line producers and productions were often found to be dumping all of their problems of the show into the visual effects budget, leaving the show with no money to support or the costs attached, and therefore post-budgets were going tens of millions of dollars over. The studios suddenly realised they had to do something about this, so they set up divisions to protect the visual effects budget, to ring-fence it and to stop its abuse. Therefore, As I said earlier, in fact, the line producer, the executive producer, has very little say in the visual effects budget. Uh, Once our budget is signed off uh, and agreed by the studio, um, they're never allowed to actually touch it or change it without the studio's uh, consent. The next in our sort of cast of characters is the production designer. Now, in pre-production, this is a very important person because obviously they are in charge of the look, the design, color, finish, sets of all things put onto the screen. And we have a major overlap with us in pre-production. Everything that we're designing, they have a say in. Um, And obviously, all about the sets and locations, props, creatures, etc. The other uh, major player is the director of photography, the DOP or the DP. Now, often this person may be a quietish voice in the prep period. But as we know from experience, and we are once bitten, twice shy, once shooting starts, He becomes or she becomes the second most powerful voice on the set and can be the nemesis of many of VFX soup. 
collaboration is vital um, with this person as all technical camera, rig, screens, color pipelines, framing and plate work ultimately goes through them. So therefore, this is an important person to collaborate with during pre-production. Then the other players are the sort of stunt coordinators and second unit directors. Sometimes this is the same role who are there to design a lot of the action sequence. And so we often end up using working closely with them. And of course, special effects coordinators who we work closely with, with the manufacture of all sort of interactive physical rigs, smoke, rain, wind, explosions, etc., and elements. And then there is the AD, the assistant director, who's in charge of the schedule of all the daily meetings in prep and of, and of the director's time and access to the director, and also in charge of the shoot schedule on the stage floor, ultimately. There are obviously many other heads of department, but all of these are the main ones that we tend to deal with in prep. And it's this little cast of characters who get together almost on a daily basis in meetings normally from morning till night and who end up sort of traveling the world in small vans and planes trying to figure out how best to design, to prep and to shoot the movie. And we all become a sort of very close-knit little unit. Um, but of course, at the same time, we're all sort of fighting for our corner. Now, as I said, the script rarely holds all the answers to any sequence. Usually it's merely a guide that needs to be fleshed out in this prep period. Heavy stunt action sequences are usually led by the stunt coordinators and the second unit director, and the special effects and the DPs will also be involved with these. However, with highly complex scenes which blend live action, CG and CG characters and special effects and stunts, it becomes a long and complex road to design and plan these sequences. During this period, our role is to help visualise all of these scenes using concept art, storyboards, pre-visualisation, and then often VR and AR and any virtual production tool. Finding the best and most expedient tool to quickly and efficiently give the director the creative images and stimulus that they're looking for becomes our role. Putting set designs and location layouts into virtual reality Getting key crew comfortable with virtual scouts and shot designing can save huge amounts of time and unnecessary set builds. I feel that in recent years, it has fallen on us to utilize all of these tools and where we can to bring in our fellow filmmakers and try to put these tools into their hands. It's too easy during this process that key crew can be made to feel marginalized. ADs and DPs and other key heads of department can feel that this digital prep has nothing to do with them. During this process, it's easy for us to spend millions of dollars in previs and months of planning and it all to go out the window on the first day of the shoot when the DP and the actors come up with a great idea that the director thinks is genius and we are proverbially screwed. All our plans go out the window and we now have to think on our feet and um, end up with a huge mess. So during this time, the more that we can invest every department into the use of previs and virtual reality and production tools, the easier our lives become. It's a bit of a political minefield to be navigated in this whole pre-production process. Trying to have a plan is key for our department because we're always the ones left with the mess in post-production. So from script to storyboard, from storyboard to previs, and then from previs to virtual reality and virtual camera scouts, all of this can unify a production on a single course over a complex sequence. And while not only saving money, it also enables us to gather the best plates and elements to create the sequence we all want to see. 
Now, different movies and directors have different ways of getting to their final plan. Just as a few examples uh, from my career, on The Dark Knight, Chris Nolan liked to exhaust the practical solution wherever possible. However, when the scenario arose that VFX were the solution, he embraced the planning. Say, for example, when we had Batman leaping from a Hong Kong skyscraper to land in another skyscraper and then be air-hooked out by a C-130, was obviously meticulously planned. We storyboarded it, and then we previewed it all in London. Technical rehearsals were then planned out in Chicago, where we actually took the planes and we, we utilised jumping off buildings and jumping out of helicopters with a Batman, until we finally realised that the only way we could achieve it was to have a CG takeovers and break the scene apart as to the shots that could be achieved practically and the ones that couldn't. Finally, we took the whole sequence and it was all shot in Hong Kong. Another example of pre-production and visual effects um, is in the uh, design of creatures. On Edge of Tomorrow, the main alien creature ultimately fell into the visual effects department's responsibility. Hundreds of concept ideas had been planned by the studio beforehand with artists from all over the world to find a unique, never-seen-before creature. But ultimately, they failed, and nothing was put, that was put in front of the director was accepted. So we went, then went to the visual effects companies, and using our artists, we came up with a, a unique movement ideas, which, were, which we found from sort of internet research. All of these were then taken and sort of fed into some sculpted designs and ultimately, it was actually using a, a physical model that we were able to slowly nail down the look of the creature. And it was from the physical model that we were then able to sort of transpose that into the digital world. But it was the utilizing of a lot of visual effects resources that finally ended up coming up with the creature that was ultimately uh, approved by the studio and the production. Now, it could be said that too much planning can suffocate spontaneity and onset creativity. However, when you're planning a shoot with a man, say, racing through a forest, being chased by, chased by a 50-foot cyclops with trees exploding around him, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And although I've been screamed at by actors saying they're not previous puppets, the time and creativity put into the planning and the designing will always play off, will always pay off. But of course, plans do change. Uh, on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Tim Burton only wanted one actor, Deep Roy, to play every single Oompa Loompa in the movie, in every shot. Now, this required hours of on-set motion control, repeat pass shooting. And all of this had to be sunk to music as the, actors were, as the actor was always dancing with himself and singing. Now, Deep Roy had no sense of rhythm whatsoever, so this became a huge problem for us to deal with. Tim quickly lost interest in the whole venture. And we realised very early on in pre-production that we were going to need a plan B, or we would be shooting for months and months, and this was going to be financially crippling. So the team at MPC developed a fully CG Oompa Loompa. Now, this was 17 years ago, and for its day, was completely groundbreaking. But it was, it was us enabling us, though, by putting in this time in pre-production to come up with a separate plan that actually enabled us to complete the movie. Planning for the physical shoot also saves us time in post. By collecting good data, having the right teams available, knowing where we would need scans, where we need LIDAR, where we need photogrammetry, where we need set surveys, where we need elements to be shot, where we need scans of actors, where we may need Medusa. All of these things have to be meticulously planned in pre-production so that the right elements are there during the shoot. 
for example, planning green and blue screens and having them built and hung in the right places is a political dogfight all on its own. Who builds them? Who orders them? Who pays for them? Who moves them around the set? And at the same time, how do we not block the DP's lights? How do we fit them into the set? So there are so many, so many things that have to be answered, yet we want them there to protect ourselves so that we don't have impossible roto feats in post-production to achieve. Yet, of course, every other department is quite happy for them not to be there. So for us, there's a huge amount of planning and a and a lot of a lot of different departments having to work together to actually achieve the correct balance of screens versus sets versus when we let the DP have his lights and we have to just eat, eat the roto. And therefore, pre-production does become an endless round of meetings, narrowing down the seemingly infinite variables in each scene. Because a good plan with a realistic budget will always reap rewards. And although it takes a lot of hard work to make a bad movie, pre-production is the time when good decisions, good sequence designs, and united teamwork across all the technical disciplines will give us a fighting chance to make a good movie. Wow. That was very, very interesting and very, very cool. Um, and very enlightening as well, because... Um, that was that, that was like a lot. I'm sure a lot of people um, don't quite realize just how much how much work uh, goes into goes into pre-production, and not even just pre-production. You mentioned earlier pre-pre-production, so there's a lot more that goes into it even before you start creating the characters or actually you know really diving into the creation of the visual effects itself. Now, um, I do have a couple of questions. Um, just as a sort of, you know, just sort of clarify things. Um, I'm interested, especially in pre-pre-production, um, and the budget, I suppose, and the creative process and the kind of juggling, balancing act of that. Um, how do you know which to prioritize if you're the production supervisor? Well, that's, it's a very good question. I mean, ultimately, we will be given a number, usually by the studio and the production, and they will say, we have X amount of millions in the budget for visual effects. And they'll have an end figure that the studio wants to make the movie for. Now, if that end figure is vaguely realistic, you have a good fighting chance of getting the movie greenlit. But obviously, the script and that number don't always balance together. Um, some studios do things a little differently, but uh, from the sort of from my history of working on big shows, I've often found that they will deliver the script for you, and they just have a number in their heads that they want to hit, and it then becomes up to the production to merely find a way to hit that number so therefore as i said you you now have a ta you now have to look at the script and you have to now make creative decisions now obviously some of those decisions are about removing things from the script and that becomes a decision that has to be made by the director and the producer and the studio together all we can do is merely make suggestions but what we can do is make suggestions of saying hey look 
there's a sequence here where we have to build an entirely virtual environment and it's got four virtual characters in it and it's incredibly expensive and it's only two minutes of screen time and it's going to cost you X millions and it doesn't really forward the story at all. Is this good spend? And at that point, they'll look at it and everybody will go, yes, oh, we have to have it. That's my favorite creature. Or they'll go, you know what? You're right. We can just dump that. And then that cuts X amount off the shoot time. It cuts X amount off our budget. And of course, there's a ripple effect all the way across everybody's uh, budget when you start removing pages from a script. Um, but it is, as I say, it is a, it's a, it's a sort of a teamwork and nothing can be done in isolation. Um, we're not allowed to remove anything until we've had that approved all the way through the chain of command. Um, given that, is it actually, because obviously you're working, you know, you're, you're working at the, with a specific number. Um, is it actually, or is it true that it's actually, is it more cost effective to go with VR than physical shoots or practical visual effects these days? Oh, no, that, well, that is a, a completely different question. But yes, okay, interesting question. Um, oh, I would say it depends on your practical shoot. I mean, if you're merely got a, a small rom-com set in uh, a limited number of sets, uh, practical shooting can obviously be very, very, you know, cost-effective and, and cheap. However, if you've got a big action movie with special effects, vi you know, visual effects, stunts, um, extras, locations, moving around, Therefore, you've got Teamsters and trucks and your and hotel costs and flight costs. Then your budget starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and your daily costs can start ballooning up into the into the tens of millions. Um, uh, you know, for a daily you know for daily shoot costs, and you know at that at that point um, it becomes unrealistic. Well, not unrealistic, but at that point, yes, then you start to look at the virtual production side of things and they become a lot more cost effective. Obviously, a virtual shoot requires very few people. Um, uh, you know, we just did, uh, you know, a, a, an eight week uh, virtual shoot on the one and only Ivan. And probably on the set, we had no more than 15 or 20 people involved in a virtual virtual shoot whereas you have a practical shoot and you can have hundreds of people um and extras and catering and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so of course your your you know your your prices increase at a rapid rate um what other techniques do you do you kind of employ to get in the head of the director or the filmmaker to bring their vision or ideas to life because i imagine that's very it's crucial it is. And of course, every director is different and has different sensibilities and a different approach to, to filmmaking. Some want to be shown three or four versions of something, and then we'll just pick one and say, I want it like that. Um, others are very collaborative and want to sit with you and work with storyboards very closely um, and then give you the storyboards as a guide to the scene uh, whereby we take it from storyboard, let's say, to previs. Um, and then they're very collaborative and they want to talk about cameras and, you know, and all of the sort of, you know, uh, minutiae of the filmmaking process and others don't. Um, 
others you know are actually just going to shoot from the hip on the on the stage, uh, and therefore you need to plan for that and uh, and and be ready for it. Um, so it does really change per you know per director and 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 the the, the needs and the, and the wants of the script. You mentioned earlier that plans change, things change, so there should be some sort of um, room for spontaneity, uh, room for for movement as you go along. Um, I'm curious, two-part question, uh, how does your role sort of shift or do you guys stay on, do you stay on while during production after all of the pre-production process has been, you know, wrapped up and you've started actually, you know, on production making things? Um, and also, uh, out of curiosity, how specific do you have to go at pre at pre-production? Is it like when you present your, your ideas and concepts, is it really down to like, is it really shot per shot already at that point? Well, the, the budget becomes shot by shot um, because you, you, you know, you, you, you have to somewhere sort of put a line in the sand and say, well, this is what we've got to complete this sequence. So, so mentally in your head, you have to start by applying a number to it. You have to start by applying a sort of a series of shots together to say, well, that will make up that sequence. Um, and then within that, you've also got to say, well, you know, what what is in the scene? Uh, you know, are we building the environments? Are we building creatures? Are we building, you know, are we adding extras? You know, what sort of effects are you know are they? Um, now then, um, uh, well, the the role of the visual effects um, supervisor sort of you know continues on from pre production into production. Obviously, you know, now we go into production and we try and now. Put our uh, plans into into action. Um, you know, as I said, you know, very much the planning, you know, is is vital to visual effects because we are the ones who are going to live with it in post production. Um, most of the other cast of characters, uh, uh, that their, their role finishes when production finishes. But for us, we now have to go through all three phases. We have to go through pre-production. We have to plan it. We then have to go through production on a day-by-day basis to make sure that as close as possible, the plan goes um, goes into production and is followed. Or if it's not followed, we then need to very carefully track it and make sure that the new plan is actually going to work and is going to uh, it's going to it's going to give us what we need to achieve the sequence that's that's desired by the by the director and the script so therefore we have to follow it through both of those phases and then of course we then have to end up taking it through into post-production where we may be with it for another year while everybody else goes and does a couple more movies so we do find ourselves in a very unique position that really only the producer and the director are actually in, which is we are on board of a movie from day one of the, the, the script and the hiring of the production designer all the way through almost until the release of the movie. Um, and this can be several years. So, of course, our, our, our role is a tricky one because in pre-production we are trying to work with production designers and please the producer and the director and the studio and trying to plan out the sequence um, not only to work uh, for the budget but creatively to achieve the needs of the script and the, and the the creative desires of the director but then of course we have to take that through production now we have to have the, the you know the delicate balance of having to deal with directors of photography 
actors um, and all sorts of you know highly creative and talented people who will have their own creative input that they want to put and their own stamp that they actually now want to craft into the movie and we have to give them their space and their their their, their time and their to, to do this while at the same time we do need to protect um you know the the, the plan uh, because otherwise, if we let the plan go completely off the rails, um, there can be huge financial problems with that. And uh, and as I said, and once again, we need to make sure that we can creatively deliver the sequence um, uh, with the elements that we're that we're being given. Um, so that really is that. So our so our our job really doesn't stop. It's just a sort of different. It's um, so just a different time and a different 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 part of it. How often does it happen where you end up with a film that is almost entirely different from what you had planned at the very beginning because a lot of things changed along the way? Oh, often. Very often, I'm afraid to say, yeah, the best laid plans, um, you know, we do, we try to plan. It seems to be the smart thing to do. But unfortunately, you know, as I say, we are, we're dealing with a highly creative medium, with highly creative people, with lots of individuals, lots of egos, and things change. Um, Now, some, you know, some some, some studios are actually a little bit uh, more clinical about it and don't like so much change. But I think it is part of the it's part of the medium. It's part of the expression. I think you learn so much as you're making a movie and every movie is different. And if it were that easy that you could plan the whole thing in prep and then go, all I've got to do now is just shoot it and cut it together and it'll be perfect. It just never works that way. You just learn so much more about the story and the the, the nature of the characters and the nature of of that story that you're telling and and its balance just changes and as that happens things that we thought were terribly important in pre-production suddenly don't seem to be so important and actually what is important is something else um and you have to change that plan um or they just test the movie and the third act doesn't work so they decide well let's just rewrite a completely different third act and uh, that's where you know we all know the mess that we can end up in post production as we scramble to completely start new sequences from scratch with only weeks to go before uh, before deadlines thank you very much nick very insightful i'm sure it will be very helpful to our listeners and good luck with your future projects <laughs> thank you very much nice to talk with you If you enjoyed this masterclass podcast, please sign up to our newsletter at thefocus.com slash subscribe to keep up with future podcasts as well as get the latest visual effects content, tailored job alerts, and virtual learning materials straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe, follow, or like us on our social media channels at The Focus Careers. We'll share the links to those channels in the description. We'll speak again next time.